celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. I'm DC Hendrix, of course. Be sure to follow us everywhere on Twitter, Instagram. Just search the Music Vibes Podcast. You'll be able to find us. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere. All right, so joining us now on the Music Vibes Podcast, of course, we're talking Mac Miller today, talking about his legacy and career and someone that was very involved in the career, especially the early days of Mac Miller is, of course, ID Labs Music. So we are joined by E. Dan, the legendary producer, and he's joining us right now. E, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's up, man? I'm uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Absolutely. It's really good to hear from you. I really wanted to get this interview on and really wanted to dig into some of the early days um, as you got, had a lot of encounters with Mac Miller. So go ahead and for me and the listeners, go ahead and retrack your first encounter with the one and only Mac Miller. Um, well, I met Mac when he was, uh, I think, about 15 years old. Um, and he came to my studio in Pittsburgh, ID Labs. Um, you know, basically just, just came in as a, as a kid wanting to record and, and make a project. Um, it wasn't until... Um, maybe a, you know, a year into him working out of the studio that him and I started working together. But, um, that was, uh, that was the origin of it was, um, you know, high school kid wanting to, uh, make a mixtape and mm. he found his way to us. Yeah. So I read in this book, of course, it's remembering Mac Miller wrote by Donna and she's going to be joining us in just a few moments and we'll be able to dig into this book. So I read some some of your stories from, you know, the early days of, you know, we all know Max's personality and, you know, how serious he is about the grind. And he talked about some of the things he would bring and trade in the early days to try to get some studio time. Talk about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was a couple of sessions really early on uh, where he would just pop up with uh, random audio gear. <laughs> uh in in return for a session um i can't say where he got it um or or how he even got the notion that we would uh take gear over cash but uh we did a couple of times (laughs) yeah we ain't we ain't here to snitch and say where he got it from but i I will say that that's definitely a test determined man that was that was that was the uh uh, the takeaway was like, you know, he really wanted to uh, do his thing. So was the first project that you were, so what was the first project that you were like, all right, this kid's serious. I'm ready to work with him. I think it was just, it was just a combination of things. So um, like I said, he'd been working out of the studio for, you know, maybe a year or so, maybe a little less. Um, I was going pretty hard with Wiz Khalifa at the time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I, early on when Max started coming to the studio, I just, I wasn't fully paying attention and, and there was other engineers there that, you know, were doing his sessions. So, um, I didn't really catch wind of, of, you know, what he was doing creatively until I heard some things that he had done with Big Germ, who was, mm-hmm. uh, one of my, you know, engineers and partners, uh, at the studio and, when I heard some of that stuff and, and, you know, it was some stuff that he had done. Um, he had played some guitar, German put some drums to, and then he had, you know, made a song to, and, and 
It was, uh, you know, it was just different. And to know that he, you know, had a part in, in producing it with Jerem, mm-hmm. um, you know, really showed me that, that he was a creative dude and he was really, you know, um, you know, trying to, um, trying to make something different. And mm-hmm. um, I think the very first thing that, him and I worked on together was the song Knock Knock. This is gonna feel real good, alright? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. One, two, three, four. And that was when he was working on the kids' mixtape. So it was right around that time that um, him and I got to working together. Yeah, so 2010. That, that takes it back a little right. bit, 11 years ago. And what a legendary yeah. mixtape, you know, and knock, knock. So you got to produce that song. And I think I even read in the book that you guys literally like had people outside the studio like recording to help put that song together. Yeah, well, it was it was mostly just like Max friends. I mean, it was basically like the most dope crew. It was you know Jimmy and and Q, Max girlfriend at the time, Nomi, mm. uh, Tree J, all the the people that were usually at the studio with him anyway. And um, we just sent out you know set a mic out in the lounge basically and. Mm. Uh, they all did some of the background vocals on that song. Yeah, that was that was a fun one to make. I mean, we made it, you know, that that first time getting together from scratch, based off of the the sample. It was fun to put it together for sure. Yeah, and put together the 2010 mixtape Kids, which I mean, even today, still legendary. Can't believe it's been 11 years since that mixtape was released. So, like, in conversations with Mac, you know, coming up with the in the early grind. You know, where was his mindset? I mean, I know I imagine you guys had a lot of, you know, conversations. You know, where was he at musically? Back then, I mean, it was, you know, he was very much just focused on being heard and, and you know, gaining a, a fan base. Um, you know, he was he was always super creative and, and, you know, very in the moment when he was making music. But, you know, those early days, it was less about, like, challenging himself, you know, to go really outside the box than mm-hmm. it was, like, you know, how do I build this fan base and, and how do I, you know, get people to pay attention to, to what I'm doing. So I think he was more focused on making, you know, catchy songs and, uh, upbeat songs, you know, just to, to really draw people in. Yeah. And I imagine for you around this time, as I did get to talk to Wiz earlier this year, I think it was like July. Um, I actually got to talk to Wiz about his early days as well. And I mean, you, you around this time, as I know a lot of producers are and mixers are very busy, you know, and especially you around this time where you got Mac Miller, who's coming in, you know, doing his thing with the kids mixtape, getting ready for his first album. You already, you're in the thick of things with Wiz. 
So like for you, you know, I mean, you're really busy around this time. So tell me, you know, for you personally, your mindset and trying to, you know, go in in a studio with Wiz and uh, also with Mac Miller. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the things that made it take a little while before Mac and I really connected because I was so in deep with, with Wiz. And, and at that point, Wiz and I have been working together for a good four years or so. And, um, you know, it was it was a long road to get to any sort of success, you know, initially with Wiz. Um, so I think, you know, by the time Mac came along, I was hesitant to jump right into, you know, uh, another like really close relationship with an artist where we were building something from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really it took like those first couple of songs that I heard that he did with Germ, like I said, but it was like, once I really got a sense of like what he was doing, you know, I knew that it was going to be something. Mm-hmm. And at that point it was like, you know, I was, I was in with both, with both feet. But yeah, it was definitely like it was a crazy time. I mean, it was it was a bit of a whirlwind. Like you know, things like I said took a little while for you know to get going for Wiz. Mm-hmm. But once they did, they took off, and then Max sort of came right behind that, and it you know happened really fast. Yeah, it was just a it's just a crazy hectic time, and, mm-hmm. and I'm just you know really really thankful and and blessed that you know lightning sort of struck twice for us and we were were given that opportunity you know just from a small town like pittsburgh to you know have so much so much success and to have um suddenly like be a part of the the you know bigger music industry or bigger world of music going on around us yeah and for someone like me personally you know growing up and those early mixtapes with wiz khalifa like prince of the city prince of the city 2 Cushion Orange Juice, all those mixtapes in the early days, Burn After Rolling, and then Max early mixtape with kids and you, you know, being so highly regarded and you being spoken of. And that's that's one thing, too. I want to credit the artists, both Mac and Wiz, you know, do credit you a lot, you know, for their early days and their early grind. So, like, you know, for you personally, I, I got to think that means a lot for you, you know, for these guys to be looking back and thanking you so much for their you know early career. Yeah, it's really special, man. I, I you know, I, I appreciate them so much for uh, just, you know, keeping me involved. You know, I mean, my my thing was like I never had any sort of like you know paperwork between me and and Wiz and me and Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was never in there in a, in a management sort of position or anything like that. Like our relationship was was strictly musical and it was built on music and. Um, you know, for Wiz, it was even something that we sort of discussed up front. I told him flat mm-hmm. out that, you know, I, that was <clears throat> really what I wanted to base things on and for it not to be something that any of us felt locked into and that they didn't feel locked into working with me. And, and obviously they've worked, you know, both have worked with, you know, so many other people, but they've always mm-hmm. kept me a part of, of what they're doing, you know, and, and um, you know, even in... in you know, his last years, like Mac working with John Bryan, um, you know, like that was that was such a big deal for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still, you know, let me find my role and my space in what he was doing. And you know, I'm very, you know, thankful to those guys for that. You know? And I think that's part of why I think because I, you know, they knew that uh, my motivation was to 
make great music with them, you know, and it wasn't to take a piece of what they were doing or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. It was to build with them, and I think they always respected that. Um, and, you know, that's, that's always been the, the relationship. You were there for, you know, the first album as well, Blue Slide Park. So a lot of people, you know, in the fan circles would consider Blue Slide Park like Mac Miller's um, Rolling Papers, where, you know, Wiz and Mac, you know, look at that debut album and, from, at least from the interviews, like seem a little disappointed in their debut albums because they felt like they didn't, you know, get across what they absolutely wanted to. But still, nonetheless, very successful debut album. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that they're looked at differently now with, with time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, in that era of mixtapes, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of pressure going into those sort of quote unquote official projects where, mm -hmm. you know, they had been releasing music like crazy. Um, but there was so much pressure on that those first albums, you know, because they were looked at as something official and um, you know, they both did very well. Like Blue mm -hmm. Slide Park, you know, broke records and, you know, it was, um, it was like usually successful, but, you know, critics sort of like had their way with it just because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it was fun and a lot of it was like sort of tongue in cheek and Mac was young and there was an innocence to him. And I think that, you know, those folks just had like a um uh if not a resentment they just didn't feel like it fit you know into the culture but the thing was like with mac you know it really became a, a motivator uh to push himself mm -hmm. you know to to be more creative to make you know different music to like really you know dig deep and and um, see what he was capable of as opposed to like, let me just churn out another one of these albums, <laughs> you know, successfully. He took the critique to heart, you know, and that was mm -hmm. what led to things like Macadelic and watching movies at the sound off, which were a lot more experimental and really mm -hmm. sort of set the stage, you know, and in, in my opinion, I don't, I don't know how many people share it. Um, I've never really seen it, but I feel like it was the, you know, in later years, like with, with swimming and um, and even circles mm -hmm. you know, that came out after he passed, like, you know, those albums to me were sort of the culmination of things like Blue Slot Park, like the more innocent, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of free-flowing times, and then, like, you know, the more introspective and darker and, and experimental stuff that came later. Uh, to me, if you mix those together and, and add, you know, some experience and some... Um, some wisdom, you know, you get things like swimming and you get things like uh, circles. Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned, you know, how Mac, you know, started to get, you know, as he's starting to get those critics coming in, he started to get really creative with not only his production, but his sound. Now, something that Donna and I may disagree on, because I think in the book she mentioned that she thought Macadelic was that kind of shift in his creativity and changed the sound a little bit. For me, it was watching movies with the sound off where he really took it. I remember watching, cause I mentioned, I remember watching the video to objects in the mirror and it was, t I mean, growing up listening to kids, I'm like, this is totally different than what I got on that. But watching movies with the sound off for me is when I became, I mean, I was already a big fan of Mac Miller, but when I started, you know, watching the objects in the mirror and, you know, hearing SDS and, 
uh, someone like you on that album, I'm like, whoa, this is a, he can go a whole new route with this. So for me, that was when he really took the creative process. So, I mean, you were there. Which one do you think was his turning point? Well, I think he did a 180 with Macadelic creatively. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think that if you, you know, a song like, I don't know, like Vitamins mm-hmm. um, or, you know, Clarity or something like um those are pretty out there in terms of, you know, uh, the beats themselves, the you know, the content, the subject matter, and everything, mm-hmm. as opposed to something like, you know, what was uh, on Blue Slide Park. So I feel like that was when the shift began. But I, but I think also you're right in the fact, you know, the sense that like with watching movies, um, you know, he went to another level with it, and a lot of that was because he started producing, you know, himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, things started to, to get this this different sound that was really unique to him um, because he had such a, a large hand in the actual production of watching movies, you know, whereas mm-hmm. up to that point, he was always mostly relying on, on other people, you know, to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sort of both things are right. I mean, I think the turning point started with Macadelic because that was really post Blue Slide Park critique that mm-hmm. um you know informed the the approach to to that out uh, to that mixtape and then it was watching movies that he really um sort of broke new ground with um you know where he was going yeah i love that album love 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 watching movies with yeah, the sound off too. love it i mean to this day i listen to it a few times even today um and so you i'm glad that you you know sort of feel the same way about that because i just look back on that release and so I wanted to have a little fun with you here um, because, uh, you know, around this time, you know, he has that alter ego, so to speak, of Larry Fisherman. And I, I, you know, I make I make jokes with my buddy who actually put me on Mac Miller back in the day. And I'm like, look, and he he's one of those guys. He's been trying to, you know, break in the rap game for a while. And he would come to me with ideas. I'd be like, look, bro, that ain't going to work like just. uh-uh. And so, like, we make the joke like, bro, if you come to me and tell me that you're going to have an alter ego, called Larry Fisherman. I'm going to laugh at you. But I remember the first time Mac Miller uh, brought this to the forefront and, you know, this whole Larry Fisherman idea. I mean, I, I thought I thought it was actually really awesome. I mean, only Mac Miller could, could pull this off. So when he first came to you guys with this Larry Fisherman idea, how did you react? I think I think Larry Fisherman actually was um, something that him and Josh or maybe just Josh, uh, Josh Berg, his engineer in LA um, came up with, and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just you know just sort of popped up as a thing, and um, you know, but by that point, like you know, he was doing so much like off the wall music that it was it, it made total sense mm-hmm. at the time, you know what I mean? And yeah, I agree. I think it, you know I thought it was pretty brilliant that he you know sort of took on this alter ego. <laughs> which is really just sort of his like producer ego, you know, because then came like delusional Thomas, and, yep. um, you know, like there, you know, Larry Lovestein, there, there was yep. more alter egos, you know what I mean? But it, it just, you know, other ways to express himself, I think ultimately. Yeah. And I cannot talk about his discography without going to what a lot of people, I ask a lot of my friends, you know, growing up, listening to him, their favorite project. And a lot of them say best day ever. Um, so I guess to travel back a little bit to that, 
you know, that was I remember watching the video for the first time and I'm watching a young Mac uh, rap. I think it was the rapper's delight. Was he rapping um, in, in the beginning of the best day ever video? Oh, right. The, uh, I mean, the, the, home, the home movie clip. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, this kid, he's, he's got it. You know, that was for me. That was the real moment. You know, I love Nike's on my feet off kids and I love senior skip day him walking through the grocery store. I love that stuff. But when I seen him, you know, walking the, you know, the streets, I think it was Pittsburgh for the best day ever video. I, that was when I knew like this kid is it. So kind of travel back with me on the best day ever, uh, you know, in the studio. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that was really the time that germ and I got, you know, heavily involved with him and, and he became like, you know, more of a priority for us at the studio. So I think that just meant that just means he, um, you know, he had more time. I mean, he was he was there more often. Um, uh, you know, Rostrum was involved at that point, so there was someone you know footing the bill at the studio, which helped mm-hmm. um, for us to you know make it a priority. And um, you know, I think that's that's what that album that mixtape was born of was just you know him finally like being in a place where you know he could spend more time being more creative and mm-hmm. you know go go sort of deeper um on the song so i think it was you know the same general like feel or at least like origins of something like kids but it was it was more refined you know in the, in the sound and, um, what and you know just what he was doing lyrically and and rhythmically and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely love that one as well. Had to had to travel back to that because I remember, like I said, the best day ever video. I remember watching Donald Trump when that video dropped as well. Hey, hey, yo, Seth, what's good, bro? This man's kind of high out here. <laughs> Yo, the flyest motherfucker in the room Yeah, you know it's me Bitches hating on him Cause he started out here locally Hopefully, I'll be at the top soon For now, I'm at my house On the couch, watching cartoons You know how much you love it When you get it in abundance Give a fuck about a budget When you always be the subject of discussion But it's nothing when you stop and just say fuck it Cause you walking out in public And you hear him talking rubbish I just wanna ride, ride through the city In a cutlass Find a big butt, bitch Somewhere get my nuts kissed That's the way it goes um just you know it just took me back you know i'm a couple years older than mac but around the same age range we were doing the same stuff you know smoking weed and partying that was that was the thing man i mean same age group so that was something i definitely wanted to look back on as well but so I wanted to talk about, you know, everything that's coming out now. So I can't I can't bring you on without talking swimming. Now, for me, it's really right. unfortunate. And I'm going to say this to Donna in a couple moments as well. But swimming for me, unfortunately, we you know, we lost him after this release. But for me, swimming was his best project. I mean, top to bottom, swimming is an absolute yeah. masterpiece. So it was really unfortunate we lost him when he did. But, you know, I, I guess take me. Take me behind the scenes. I mean, did Mac know that this album was going to be this masterpiece that we ended up getting? You know, when Mac first started on what became Swimming, he, he you know, had told me that he really wanted to make like a just full on rap album. Like, 
He just wanted to go hard, mm-hmm. you know, um, and rap. And, and the first the first few songs that we worked on together, um, you know, were really in that vein. Like they were really, uh, um, you know, not as melodic and more like hard hitting and, and that sort of thing. So it just began to like evolve, you know, mm-hmm. over over the months preceding that, you know, and it was really just like him compiling these songs and, and when he brought in John Bryan, like I think it was just sort of a perfect move to, you know, pull things together mm-hmm. uh, in the way that he envisioned them because John is just, you know, such an amazing player, instrumentalist, um, you know, composer, arranger. I think he was just able to take things to a new level and I agree. That's, uh, I think it's, you know, Overall, like that's my favorite project that that he's done. You know that he's um, it's the most cohesive, and it's just you know it feels um, it sort of feels the most him. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know, obviously it was tragic uh, what happened, and and you know that uh, my kids, you know, they sort of like grew up around Mac, mm-hmm. and um, you know my oldest in particular took it really you know hard and, and yeah that was that tour was going to be like the the first uh shows that i took them to uh for mac um so you know beyond everything else it was just like really sad that uh they didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to uh you know experience him live and, and um you know he was really fine for a, for a moment with um, you know, he had, you know, a band that he was really excited about and, and the tour was going to be a really big deal, um, for him, you know, even musically speaking. Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, traveling back on that because like I said, my f- personal favorite album was right there, but then you guys gave us circles, you know, after everything was said and done, kind of talk about how that process came about. Yeah. I mean, circles um you know obviously was was a little bit strange you know to put together and and mm-hmm. um you know the only track that that we really did on there was the track woods um although you know there was there were songs on circles that mac and i worked on in really early stages but mm-hmm. um i think by the time you know everything happened um you know, maybe some of that stuff sort of got lost uh, because Mac was still very much in like demo mm-hmm. phase with a lot of those records. Um, but Woods, you know, is more or less uh, exists the way that Mac and I left it. Um, I mean, John certainly added some some uh, great, you know, elements to it mm-hmm. and you know, brought in Wendy from Prince's band to play guitar, which is amazing. Yes. Um, but that was actually the last song that Mac and I worked on together. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've got like really vivid memories of just being in the, in Conway studios in LA, um, you know, and just making that from scratch one evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time, you know, we, we kind of thought we were still, working on ideas for swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I knew that he had some stuff, you know, that he was putting sort of aside for, you know, a project that he hoped to release right after it, but right after swimming, um, you know, which ultimately became Circles. Mm-hmm. But that also wasn't an untypical thing for Mac. I mean, he, you know, very often when we were working on an album, he was sort of working on two albums. Um, and a lot of that was his way of like, you know, you know, when you make a song, it's like you, you, you know, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, you're, you're birthing a, a child or something, you know, and, um, even if you can't see a, a place for a song in a project that you're working on, it's like, it's still important to you, you know, and, um, I think that any, every, every song that he made, you know, um, was important to him and was special to him. So I think a lot of times when you work on an album, you know, you make 40, 50, 60, 100 songs. Right. And you have to pick, you know, 15 of them. <laughs> His way of feeling better about that was like, all right, well, I'm going to do, you know, this album, but then I'm going to put this one out. Mm-hmm. right after it and that's going to have all these other songs you know what i mean um so it was that was that was something we sort of went through you know with every album um this one was just like you know you could tell that it was going to be a departure and, right you know that and that he was a little more serious about like no i actually am going to take you know these songs that i don't feel like fit swimming exactly mm-hmm. and i'm going to put them out you know and it's going to be you know sort of a conceptual companion album um and that's what it what it ended up being and you know john bryan really did an amazing job you know what i mean like mm-hmm. just how he pulled it together from what mac left us um i think mac would have really been you know proud of and and happy about ultimately absolutely thank you so much for tra- thank you so much for traveling back and talking about mac miller with me today e dan just so many great memories so many great songs so many great albums and we're going to be joined by donna who wrote this fantastic book in just moments i know you got to talk to her she told me to tell you hi and uh thank you so much for coming on today i mean so many great stuff thank you absolutely man thanks for having me and tell donna i said hi as well I'm DC Hendricks, of course. Be sure to follow us everywhere on Twitter, Instagram. Just search the Music Vibes podcast. You'll be able to find us. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are available. So we got this new book, the book of Mac Miller, Remembering Mac Miller, the greatest. I grew up, you know, obviously a lot of people, and you mentioned this in your book, you know, pretty much a lot of millennials grew up in the early 2000s listening to this young man and all his great music and growing with him. And that's why, you know, reading this book, um, got to admit, uh, brought some tears to my eyes, to be honest with you, um, a few times. Um, I think it was only, I think it was just reading your intro um, already got me in tears and kind of emotional. So we're joined by the author of this book, The Book of Mac, Remembering Mac Miller, Donna Claire Chessman, joining us right now. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the kind words. I think that... um knowing that it brought tears to your eyes is so rewarding because that's just kind of what Mac does for people. You know, he just unlocks that emotion in you and knowing that I could give you that gift in a way that's really special. 
Yes, absolutely. And now before we even get to the book, I want to know a little bit more about you as an author, because I respect all of you journalists so much and all the work that you put in and especially this book. But obviously, this isn't the first time you've written about music. I would love for you to introduce us on everything that you've done, you know, prior to writing this book. Yeah, absolutely. So I currently am the editorial director at Audio Mac, which is a artist first streaming platform. And what that means really is I do a lot of editing, obviously, and I do a lot of writing and I do a lot of like marketing copy. And just if writing is involved, I'm involved as well. Before that, I was writing uh, freelance, but mostly I was working with DJ Booth, which is an online hip hop magazine. And I would say that DJ Booth was really the core of my foundation as a writer. I wrote a lot about Mac there. I wrote about a lot of artists there. I did a lot of interviews and through just rigorous editing, um, I really understood how to tell an artist's story. And I think that's what mattered the most to me out of all the different types of writing that you could do as a journalist. I think that the best is just being able to communicate an artist's story, whether that's in like a critique or if that's in a track review or, you know, obviously an interview. That's what's most important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely came across in this story. So I guess to translate a little bit into um, your intro. So I guess it's all a part of all in one question. The first time you heard Mac Miller's music, the first song you heard. And of course, I definitely wanted to gather your intro to the book. Yeah, so I think that um, it's hard to remember the first song. I think it was probably um, a bonus like Lucy that some kid who will remain nameless because he had really questionable music taste played for me. <laughs> but uh, he played it. He's like, have you heard Mac Miller? You got to check this out. And he like played it for me. I was like, this is pretty good. Yeah. So I go home and I go on to dadpiff.com. Obviously, it's the 2010s. And I download kids and that is just the gateway, you know, and then I'm hooked from that moment on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had to look back and I think the first one I heard was actually Nike's on my feet from the kids uh, mixtape. So that was the first one I heard my homie, uh, my homie, Luke, I'll go ahead and name drop him. He, he came back from college his first semester and he was going to ball state. He comes back uh, to the hometown for in Indiana. And he's like, Yo, you heard of this kid, Mac Miller? And this is obviously Wiz Khalifa's already coming out of Pittsburgh. That mixtape is already, you know, people are starting to learn who Wiz Khalifa is. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, he comes back and he's like, man, you heard Mac Miller? And I'm like, nah, man, who is that? And he plays Nikes on my feet. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, you, you don't you don't usually hear a lot of people try to tackle a Nas beat um, because Nas is already so legendary. But I got to tell you, Mac Miller held his own on that Nikes on my feet. That's really so great about like the early stuff, you know, is that it's the new school flows, obviously, but he is always, always paying homage to who came before him. And I think that respect that he has for rap, especially in his earlier um, mixtapes, where it's like really abundantly clear. Uh, that is just, I think, what won him over so many fans like a Sky Zoo and like a Fonte who were like, this kid really gets it. And that's why he ends up with those collaborations. And that's why so many people love him. Yeah, absolutely. Always love traveling back. And that's one thing I love about him too. His samples are always top tier and always love hearing 
all the samples, all the creative process behind it. And I think I'm supposed to be joined by ID Labs, who actually got to work with Mac Miller and, and Wiz Khalifa as well. But Mac Miller's early days, and he's going to be able to talk about that as well, the creative process behind the board and all those things. And even, you know, a lot of things that you talk in your book that I'm ready to dig into. But I definitely wanted to start with your personal journey. Um, if you were if you wanted to talk about your personal journey and why, you know, you decided to write this book on Mac Miller, because I know it's very personal. Yeah, I think that um, in life you you experience a lot of art. And I think that everyone has that one artist or that one medium or that one painting or that one something. And you see it and you're like, this is me. This is who I am. This is a part of me. This is my one. And for me, that was Mac Miller. And he, he was my one, like from every project from kids to circles, he met me where I was at in my life. Miraculously. It's not like Mac Miller was making music to make music for Donna. Like that obviously didn't happen, but it felt that way. And what's so special is that you could pull any Mac fan and they will say the same thing. They'll say, I feel like he met me where I was at. I feel like he heard me without me even having to ask for it. So I think when it come when it comes down to it, Mac Miller is my artist of my life. Like if you ask me, describe yourself in an album, I would give you a Mac Miller album. And I think that's just so special. So after the tragedy, I started a a year-long series on DJ Booth memorializing Mac Miller. And then after um, that series came to an end, I, I just didn't stop writing. I kept interviewing, I kept writing and the book slowly started taking shape and it didn't really become the form that it is now until after I met my publisher who helped me really retool it into this incredible storytelling exercise. But I just never stopped. It just mattered too much to me to leave the story of his artistry after just a year, you know, and it's a really weird feeling to be done in a way because the book is out and you know, I guess I have to write about something else now, but um, <laughs> I'll always be thinking critically about Malcolm for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, got to commend you on the process um, that you used to write this book. Definitely had to commend you on that because you did such a great job on the layout. Everything, I mean, was time travel through. It's like tra traveling back into time almost. And I, I love doing that. And you did a great job, you know, starting from the beginning with kids. So let, let's start there. I mean, the first project that I heard, and I think that pretty much, you know, sent Mac Miller, I mean, to the mainstream almost, I think this is when a lot of people started to figure out who Mac Miller is because back then mixtapes was hot. Every, everyone wanted to hear the new mixtape, the hot new mixtape and kids comes out. And I mean, so many songs throughout that, that debut mixtape. I mean, I got the vinyl record. I got to listen to it again last night, got to kick back. Uh, 2010, I was like 20 years old, so a couple years older, but still, I'm, I was still, you know, in that same, you know, age range where I'm trying to figure things out and, you know, smoke a little weed, get back on the couch, order some breakfast, senior skip day. Um, I mean, throughout this project, let's start with kids and why this mixtape was so successful for them. I think it's the tape is amazing, right? Like the tape is really good, but it's also the videos, man, like mm -hmm. the like, what did I call it? I said the humble magic. And that's really what it is, is you're just following him through his day. And there's like shots of him in the grocery store in PJs. And it's so accessible. 
it's like Mac Miller is someone, you know, and that's really special because to grow up with an artist, you have to have that bedrock of being like, I know this artist, I know this person well enough that I can trust them with my emotions. And so it's not like kids was faces, you know, like there was growth in between, but you could enter into the Mac Miller universe through kids and be like, okay, he gets me on this level. Let's see what else he can understand. And so I think the videos really help with that. Um, it doesn't hurt that the tape is awesome. It doesn't hurt that the the rhymes are pretty funny at places, you know, like the punchlines are great and the production is sweet and it's such a homegrown effort. And I love the story about um, knock, knock being made with people literally knocking on the booth. I think that's hilarious. I think that's awesome. And I think it really speaks to just the importance of how Malcolm made people come together. And yes, it was his like personal community, but as you follow his career, he brings all of these artists together once he moves out to the West coast. And I think that's awesome too. Yeah. One thing I loved the most about your book too, is you got to talk to a lot of people to share some of these stories, big germ, E Dan of ID labs. And you mentioned the story about how knock knock was created. Um, and also, you know, I also love the personal journey of how he even started getting studio time. I mean, you know, he's <laughs> people are like skeptical on like where he's getting all the stuff. I I know you in the book you mentioned he traded he tried to trade in a turntable, a CD turntable for some studio time. Like that's just talk about some of the conversations that you had in preparation for this book. Yeah, um, I love the kids' conversations the most. Maybe it's hard. It's hard to pick a favorite, but you know, right now I do because they're so sweet. Um, the story of Malcolm showing up with various, you know, precariously procured electronics for studio time is really funny. And I think it speaks to his spirit. Like, yeah, it's it's like cute that he did that. But it also like he wanted to be in the studio mm -hmm. and it shows you his work ethic right there. And then when he's like, listen, I got this CD turntable. It's not money, but can I please work here? And I think that's really important to telling the story of who he is as a creative too. Um, I'm trying to think there was, I don't remember if this made it into the book, but he tried to like use the account attached to his mother's photography business to get some studio time. It's just like he would do anything to get into the studio. And I think that's great. I think that showed so much promise right off the bat he would do and acquire anything to make music. And that lasts for the entirety of his career. Yeah. In fact, in fact, Donna, it did make it Uh, E Dan in his, in his part for the kids section, he mentioned it. He, uh, he showed up and finally paid via PayPal from the photography business. So yeah, that did. I do remember that being in uh, that part of the book, which is, you know, one of very many stories. You got to talk to Wiz Khalifa as well. Now I want to dig into kids a little bit before we move ahead and kind of go through this timeline. So for kids, you know, you, and this is a personal opinion of yours because there's so many great songs on it. I mean, Kool-Aid and frozen pizza. Um, I do like, you know, the lyricism on Poppy. Like it gets a little bit deep on that one, which is a little bit different than the rest of the mixtape, in my opinion, but I also love the spins. I already mentioned senior skip day, Nike's on my feet, all fire. But for you, Donna, now for me, it's I, I picked senior skip day. I'll never go against that one. I just love the mood, the vibe on it. Kids, 
that like you mentioned the video him walking through the grocery store it's just the whole vibe he was i wanted to be mac miller i wanted to be the ladies man that he was i wanted that lifestyle um so senior skip day is it for me but for for you what was the most i guess uh essential song for you from kids Mm. see my gut says senior skip day but you already summed it up so well so i guess i have to pick a different one um (laughs) oh man that's tough. Cause when you say essential, it's like, I'm thinking my brain starts like firing and I'm like, okay, well let's talk about like the evolution. And so in that respect, I think Poppy is maybe the most important song mm. on the mixtape because it is such a foreshadowing of all of the talent to come. <laughs> yeah. Had to do this one. One time. Keep taking friends that I'll never see again I guess they gotta leave But if we pretend that they never left Well we gon' see them then Never leave our heart Never leave our thoughts As time goes by They'll never be forgot Life goes on Oh I wish that they was there Shit like this Never gonna seem fair Yeah So can I have a moment of silence For anyone who's gone from the coldness of violence And I know you wanna see me go to college But I'm sorry I don't think that I'ma make it Because this world is mine for the taking and all the storytelling to come and all of the ways that Malcolm can write and delve into deep emotions. So uh, let's go with Poppy, but only only because you already picked Senior Skip Day. <laughs> I like it. So so we so we agree on Senior Skip Day, but you mentioned Poppy. That's definitely another essential one. So obviously it goes from kids to best day ever. Another one I love. Haven't got this on vinyl yet. I've seen it a couple of times here and there, and the prices have just gone up. I don't know if you're a vinyl collector, but whew, it's hard. It's hard to get a hold of vinyl these days for, you know, I'm broke. You know, you know, the you know, the lifestyle. So um, I want to get my hands on Best Day Ever, though, because that's another one that, you know, resonates with me. Got to even work with Wiz Khalifa on and with, on Keep Floating. Obviously, the Best Day Ever video. You talked about the videos. I mean, what more do you love than a young Mac Miller as a kid? Um, I mean, rapping old school rap. I mean, old school rap. Um, so, I mean, obviously, Best Day Ever is legendary as well. Kind of, you know, it translates from kids into Best Day Ever. Kind of a similar sound. You got Donald Trump, which is, you know, a little bit more of a party lifestyle. He's getting a little bit older. Um, but kind of summarize your section that you had on Best Day Ever. It's weird. Uh, I associate it with the holidays. Um, whenever I think of best day ever, and I know that's confusing maybe because there's a whole section in Macadelic about the holidays, Mm -hmm. but that's sad. 
and this is happy. So best day ever to me is like the tape I put on in the morning, getting ready to go to like a relative's house for the holidays. Hmm. And it's like, it's just so go lucky. And it's so just smiles ear to ear every time I hear it. So when I think of like a nice day off from work, putting on a sweater, going to like, you know, my wife's family's house. That's all I want to think about is like best day ever, because that's how it feels when you think of like your best day ever to me, it's like being with people that you love. So that's, that's my association with it. And then writing it, it's part of why we picked the cover photo we did. Mm -hmm. It's like those early projects. He's so joyful Mm -hmm. and he brings so much happiness to listeners, to friends, to collaborators that I wanted the cover to embody that because even though it's a tragic ending, he's not a tragic figure, you know, he's a really smiley guy. And so I wanted that to be captured. And so I think we get that on the cover and you get that in the best day ever section as well. Yeah. And another thing that I love that you did too, and I'm glad you mentioned the cover because the cover really does, you did a great job on picking one that would summarize, you know, how, not only how Mac fans perceive Mac Miller, but like also people that weren't necessarily big Mac Miller fans. I mean, he is a guy, and you mentioned this in the book too, that no matter what, always talked about what was going on personally in his life. And, you know, for the most part, especially in the early music, you know, how to find a way to always find the positive and to be happy about everything that you're going through and everything that you're dealing with. And that's a lot of what you get in both kids and definitely best day ever and that and then you even the title track when you got the bonus track by the way that sample as a program director for an r&b station big fan of that earth wind and fire sample by the way only mac miller could pull that off but best day ever for me was definitely that like you said you for you it was holidays getting ready to go see the relatives for me it was more hanging out with the homies you know hanging out with the homies and possibly going to a little party that was around my college years so yeah i was hitting it pretty hard probably too hard made some regrettable decisions, but it's all good. And, you know, I found a way, I think it all came down to that debut album, right? I mean, that's when, that's when things started to shift for him, Blue Side Park. Um, kind of talk about um, the, the debut album for you personally, Donna. I really love Blue Side Park. I know that it's not his best work. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it is his best work. Um, I don't think it deserved a one. Uh, maybe, maybe a few more points, but I have this really vivid memory of um, leaving my my brain surgery when I was in high school and listening to Best Day Ever. And my head hurts because I just had brain surgery. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it only hurts on one side. So I'm holding the side of my head that really hurts. And I'm like gently holding an earphone just outside my ear to not overwhelm myself listening to um, Blue Slide Bark. And it's just like the lengths I would go to hear this man's music, you know, like, come on, why was I doing that? It's a little ridiculous, but it was so special to me just to hear, to hear him be so triumphant. Like the first two chapters of the book, I think I'm really talking about um, his happiness, Mm -hmm. but there's a triumph to the debut album. And it's like, he's not taking anything for granted and there's all these allusions to Pittsburgh and it's just so, so special in its own way. 
Um, do I agree with E and Germ that maybe some of the writing was a little phoned in here and there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like this pristine body of work. That's true. Mm. But I think that it resonates. And when something hits and something touches you, you know, you're able to look past the imperfections. And sometimes the imperfections make the artwork. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Blue Side Park for me. I mean, I, you know, my I think the first song I heard off Blue Side Park was Smile Back. Um, I think I heard it on the radio. And I was like, whoa, this is a hell of a lot different than the Mac Miller that I heard before. It's, and you know, obviously all artists have that growth stage. I, I definitely, I think there's a lot of similarities, whether people want to agree with me or not on this statement. I think there's a lot of similarities between Mac Miller's debut album, but Blue Side Park and Wiz Khalifa's Rolling Papers. I think there's a lot of the same feelings where a lot of people, you know, big fans of Wiz think that Rolling Papers was his Blue Slide part. You know, they didn't feel like it was his best work. So, um, but nonetheless, like you said, I mean, Blue Slide part made history. Number one on the Billboard 200. I mean, you can't beat numbers. You can't beat them. I mean, for an independent, independent really released album to go number one, um, I think that's pretty huge, especially, you know, how far he grew from that. I mean, that's, that's no, that's, you, you can't be just a nobody and make that kind of history. Now I do think, and you mentioned this in the book as well about the pitchfork review. Now I don't want to get too far on pitchfork. Um, they've, uh, they're, they're not very, they're a very, they, they take that critic word very literal. Um, so like sometimes they can be pretty cruel. I'll just be, I'll just leave that at that. Um, but you mentioned in the book that that really hit Mac pretty hard. Yeah, I think that it was part of the pivot to Macadelic was when he got the pan, he, I think, really, he took it to heart. He really did. And he ended up really improving as an artist. So like, uh, like E says, you know, I kind of want to thank the guy, but at the same time, not really. Um, jokes, mostly jokes. But Macadelic from that moment forward. So Macadelic, in my mind, is the start of his second creative renaissance where he like steps into a whole new era, whole new pen, whole new production sound. It's just this new themes. It's really exciting because he's evolving so quickly. Like this music is coming out so fast, even for because this is like pre-streaming and it's still coming out so fast. And he is growing and growing and, you know, Nowadays, when an artist drops a lot of music at once, I get nervous because I'm like, okay, well, how much more do you really have to say? Like, wouldn't it be better to just let this album breathe? Why do you need to release two, three albums in a year? Like, I'm a little nervous. But with Mac, like every release mattered. Every release was something new that he had to say. It was something important to him to say. And it sounded different. And it was a different... Mm -hmm tone it was a different setting so i think that he is one of the most prolific artists but also he found that balance between prolific and necessary and i think that's so hard to do but he nailed it it is and you, you mentioned so macadella came out in 2012 see i feel i personally and see, see this is where we can get into a little bit more of a deeper discussion is i feel like the way you feel about macadella is the way i felt about watching movies with the sound off. See, I felt like that one was kind of his second career, so to speak, when he really went from, you know, this young up and coming MC to, and of like 
full-time artist where like i'm trying to remember the song i heard i think it was when i watched the video of him live doing objects in the mirror people love you when they own your mind that's love's currency and i've been thinking about her all the time i never seen somebody put together perfectly what would i have to do to call you mine someone like you is so hard to find you can open up your eyes or you can walk in blind all i ask is that you hurry i won't hurt you don't you worry listen to me i'm a sexual free I think that was the one where I seen I was like, whoa, like this is this is a whole nother level. Like this dude is talented. He's smooth. He got some jazz, some drums in that. So like, um, I guess I feel the same way about watching movies with the sound off as you do with Macadelic. I mean, watching movies is just such an amazing album. Um, to me, that record is all about him tripling down on being a craftsman, both as a producer, as a MC, like the physical act of rapping. He gets into singing in a really full blown way. He has so many interviews where he talks about like, it's not the best voice, but it is my voice. So I'm going to sing. And I think that's awesome. I think that confidence and that bravery really comes out on that album. And man, it's smooth. The flows are great. There's fun in there. There's sadness in there. There's this incredible introspection in there. My favorite uh, Mac Miller song is on watching movies. It's I am who I am. And Mm. I love that song so much. I think that it's such an interesting dissection of being Jewish and being famous and being an artist and being a person and like, how do you be all of these things at once? And like, can you just be okay being idle for a moment? It's just, I could go on for a long time about that song, but I think that it's Mm -hmm. one of the best made songs that he's ever written. So watching movies definitely points to that one as well. Yeah. That's actually, you know, I would, you know, and it changes every day. I mean, if you're a Mac Miller fan, for a lot of people, I feel like your official favorite project changes. For me, it was watching movies with the sound off. Now, I was 23 when that came out, um, so I was a little bit older, but I felt like that's when he took his growth um, to the next level as well. So, like, I kind of, again, like you said earlier, it goes to, you know, feeling like you got to grow up with him. You know, a lot of people in that same age range. And, I mean, someone like you off that album was absolutely fantastic as well. You know, kind of smooth vibes, got the female on the vocals which I don't remember who the artist was um, on that vocals, but, uh, you know, just so timeless. And I mean, he's just getting from what it looks like. I mean, he's just getting better and better with his music. This is also around the time uh, we, we got to know Larry Fishman, right? Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is correct. He started producing for himself uh, a lot more. And at times it did cause problems for Edan, who was like, oh, man, what do I do with all of this stuff? And there were so many versions of watching movies. I think Benji, um, what made the book was a small list compared to like the audio I have of Benji reading the amount of watching movies versions that there were. But uh, it would have just taken up like multiple pages if I kept typing. So I was like, okay, I think we all get the point here. But um, 
he was just a creative dynamo. Like he had the spark and he had the touch. And so once he got into that production bag, it was just this whole new world for him. And of course, of course, um, there are like hundreds of versions of this album, because when you are at the beginning of a creative pursuit, you have all the energy in the world and you don't really know exactly where to aim that light. So you're shooting, you know, rays of light out in all directions. And I think that's, that's awesome. You know, it's like, just again, that prolific and necessary balance of like, there's so much growth mm-hmm. and it's all worthwhile. Yeah. And in that, in the section with uh, watch moves, the sound off, I remember the section you had with E Dan uh, kind of talking about, you know, th- this, yeah, this definitely was the time when he wanted to start producing his own stuff more. And for a lot of people that don't know too, and you mentioned this in the book as well, Mac Miller was not just an MC. He did not, I mean, he started producing his own stuff, but he also knew how to play instruments too. Right. Mm -hmm. He was a very, very musical guy. Um, He loved playing and he would play literally anything. And I think that's awesome, too. You know, like when you have your hands in every single part of the musical process, Mm -hmm. it just makes you a stronger artist. Yeah. And obviously, you know, with Watch Moves to Sound Off in 2013, um i know he also had the live from space uh that release and you also got to get into um you know the divine feminine and i know there's a couple albums he released 2015 i think is it good am is that what it's called Mm -hmm. yeah i remember when that came out too um that was when that that was honestly my least favorite of his releases and kind of going back and for a lot of people i know that like there's a lot of mac miller fans when i say that they're like what And I'm like, yeah, it's just I mean, it had a few moments for me on there, but I want you to kind of elaborate on what you put in your book, because you went really deep into detail and it made me go back and listen to it. And it gave me a whole new appreciation for it. And that's what I want a lot of people to get out of this book at the very least is, you know, if there's anything about, you know, his music or creative process that you don't like, give it another chance. And the chapter that you went on Good AM, you know, obviously I remember brand name. Love that one. I love Weekend with Miguel. I love in the bag. So there's moments on there that I absolutely enjoy, but kind of recap, you know, the section that you had on good. I am. Yeah. I think that that is one of his most detailed albums. Um, I have this great essay in there called, you know, like the art of webbing where Mm -hmm. I basically break down every time a song on the album references another song and like the relationship the album has with itself. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I get it. Like if you're, is it a little too long of an album? Yeah. Does it have like three outro tracks? Kind of. Um, but I love that record because it is just pure love of hip hop rapping. You know what I mean? Like he just, mm-hmm. he has so much detail in the writing and he touches on so many difficult topics like perfect circle, Godspeed. I once had to pull over while driving this was a long drive. So I wanted to get where I was going, but I pulled over and I cried because that song is so incredibly emotional and it's so resonant and it's not drowning in sentimentality. Like he really knew how to make you feel something. And I think good. I am is such a catalyst for a circles in a way because circles will make me cry all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think if circles came out, and Malcolm was still with us, I would still feel that way because of the seeds planted on Good AM and even prior 
he just knows how to tackle life and be wise, but not be condescending. I think that's really important because there are some artists who will figure something out about themselves and try and posture and be like, well, this is how you should live. And I say this really early on in my book. I'm like, you didn't tell me, Malcolm, like what I should do. You showed me that I have the capacity myself to take care of myself. And I think a lot of good AM achieves that. And it was just a great time to tour. When I talked to Justin Boyd about the tour, that was such a good time. And it was so visually distinct. And it was just great. The music, again, it was great. Is it my least favorite? I can't agree with you there. But uh, I'll give it to you. There are some points on that album where I'm like, man, like this is, we probably should have changed this. But in all, I love that record. It's the one I listen to the most daily. I think it is his most um, approachable album. Mm. Yeah, and that one, I was, and I think a lot of this too, to kind of retrack and kind of, I guess, be fully transparent. So I listened to it a couple of times back when it was released in 2015. So I was 25 at the time and going through a lot of different changes. I was having kids and stuff. So like, I guess my mind frame maybe just wasn't in, you know, it wasn't in a place to be able to process some of this. Now, now I'm, I guess I'm, I'm 31 now. So I go back and I read your section on perfect circle Godspeed. And so, you know, I've been through a lot more um, and, you know, dealt, dealt with some personal battles along the way. And I go back and listen to that. And I had almost the same reaction that you had. I mean, just completely mind blown. Um, perfect circle was just in like almost in awe that nobody other than you, at least from my, you know, reading and my research, nobody other than you has even mentioned perfect circle in any review or anything that I read online. So, you know, and that goes back to your research and the work that you put in this book, because like, that's what a lot of people can get out of this. And now that I'm a little bit older, I was able to listen to this and, you know, get a whole different grasp and take away a whole different meaning from this album good am so that's you know hopefully it has the same you know effect on someone else reading your book because you know going into this that was like my least favorite album and you know going back and reading your section on it and going back and listening to it again after that it was just totally because like while i'm reading your book the perfect the thing i love about your book is i'm i can listen to the music while i'm reading your sections mm-hmm. and your chapters because like i said it's just so so great in order um, so that's what I did with Good AM. And now I don't, I'm not sure if it was my least favorite anymore. Um, so definitely wanted to highlight that one. And just a lot of growth in that. I love the album cover, too. Um, just him being Mac again. I mean, yawning on the cover is just a picture, a cut out of his head yawning on the cover. I mean, that's Mac Miller, right? Yeah, that's like that's kind of the point. You know, it's just like whether you're looking at the kids videos or you're looking at the Good AM <laughs> cover, that's him. He's the guy. And he's got the world to give you if you're willing to accept it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, I don't want to touch on these a whole lot because this is about when, you know, the, he he started dealing with a lot of personal things. He starts dating Ariana Grande. Um, He does have divine feminine though. I did love that album. I love the track that he did with Anderson Pack, who is now with Bruno Mars. Apparently we got a new super group, Um, but he he was able to have Anderson Pack on the divine feminine with dang my personal favorite song from that album kind of briefly talk about that i think he even had the song with ariana grande on it my favorite part 
Um, he has Ty Dolla Sign from Taylor Gang on this album. Kendrick Lamar on the album. Divine Feminine. He continues, and I think he attacked a whole different sound. I mean, he kind of teased us, I feel like, with his previous projects here and there, throwing in like some jazz, smooth jazz sound and R&B in there. I feel like this album right here was where he brought it all to the forefront. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's a whole new world. I think that is the start of his third creative renaissance. And I love that album so much. I remember when it came out, my buddy was in Germany and he texted me and he was like, I think Mac Miller made an album just for you. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you're right. He did. Um, It was, it's so great. Do I have a favorite off of that project? Maybe Soulmate. But Mm. it's really hard because Stay is also my favorite. Mm. And they're all kind of my favorite for a long time. Um, That was my favorite Mac album. And, you know, it comes and goes. What's my favorite? But I think ultimately my favorite is going to be Faces Forever. Because I I say this all the time. But if you Mm. like ask me to explain myself with an album or a mixtape, I would give you Faces. Mm. So, but for the time that... uh, the divine feminine was my favorite. It was just, it was just so nice to listen to. You know what I mean? Like he's got bars all over every previous project, but this time, like, it's just really nice on the ears in a way that his other projects, not that they weren't like amazing to listen to in like headphones or on speakers, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, you can kind of wake up on Sunday and like start cleaning your house and put on the divine feminine. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cause like Sunday music is really important. Like you need the mood. Um, so I really, I love the risks he takes on that album. I love that you remember in 2013, he's talking about like, Oh, I don't really like my voice, but it's my voice. So I'm going to love it. And like, he is loving his voice on this thing. And he continues to improve as a singer we get all the way to circles where his voice is just like a phenomenal, phenomenal part of the experience. Yeah. I'm really glad too, that we agreed. I mean, cause I love stay too. I think it was a between stay and dang from the defined feminine. I just, I loved the direction that he was going with this album. Um, this was one of my personal favorite ones. I mean, I throw this in my top three of personal favorite albums. I just love the sound. I love the vibe on it. And I personally love his voice. He, he may not have been a big fan of his, of his voice, but I think it works. And obviously it does because I mean, he, his fan base was only growing and growing. Um, but I personally love that album and you mentioned faces. And so you had to be pretty happy last week when faces after what, seven years of not mm-hmm. being on streaming services finally hit, huh? Yeah, that was a uh, glorious. Um, so I have the, the speakers that like can connect to each other. I have mm-hmm. one in every room in my house. And so I, connected them all to each other. And then I played faces mm. in my entire house. And I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm, yes. Obviously faces, I mean, legendary and for yeah. so long wasn't on streaming services. And that's the way, you know, that's the way a lot of us consume our music these days. I got vinyl records, but everything isn't released on vinyl. So I have to find another way uh, to listen. And that's, that's how I listen as well. Streaming services. And when that hit, I knew a lot of people would be happy. I know so many people that love Faces and that it's their favorite record. And I guess, I guess, Donna, you've been added to the list. Another favorite um, for Faces. And I mean, so many reasons. I mean, I a lot of people would argue this is the most creative that he was on any record, was as creative as he was on Faces. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's credence to that. He just was, you know, he tweeted it himself. He was just on another planet in another world. And the creativity was just bursting and the writing was unreal. The honesty was amazing. The production was great. The artistic direction was phenomenal. And the way that um, the streaming release was rolled out was really special too with the short film and the animated videos for every single song, just like treating it as special as the project is. And what's really great about it being on streaming is a lot of people who that is maybe a blind spot for them, they get to experience it for the first time. Um, and I think that's really wonderful. Like the more music we can get to the masses, the better, you know? Absolutely. Yes. And now, now's the hard part, Donna. Um, so for me, and it's very unfortunate, I say this all the time. So my favorite Mac Miller album, unfortunately, was the last official one he released when he was alive at Swimming. Um, I, I just really love the direction that he was going um, with Swimming. Um, I mean, just so many different, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional talking about it. Um, just so many different you know, moods on here. And obviously he addresses a lot of what he's dealing with at this time. Um, Come Back to Earth starts the album Swimming. Um, You got songs like Self Care. I love the video for that. What's the Use is probably my favorite one on the entire album. Um, There's just so many good songs on here, Donna. I mean, Hurt Feelings, Ladders. It's that kind of day. It's really all I'm trying to say. We don't have a lot of time to waste. Somehow we gotta find a way. Somehow we gotta find a way. intro so i hosted a sports radio show um every mm-hmm. sunday morning um actually all the way up from 2016 all the way until 2020 before i took this new job at the r&b station so my intro to my sports my sports show was ladders um and it was just i love the vibe of it um I, it gets me ready it gets me in the mood um this album just for me donna was an absolute masterpiece nothing less and just all the way through i mean he was dealing with a lot at this time, as we know. Um, and I, for me, this was the best album that he ever released. Uh, kind of for you personally, how did you receive Swimming when it was released? And kind of talk about some things you included in the book. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Swimming is a masterpiece. I think he he really took everything that ever worked for him in the last 10 years of his career. And he put it all together and he sprinkled magic on top of it. And then this beautiful album grew out of the dirt, you know, just like, oh my God, it's like 2009. Like we could have a whole separate episode where we talk about 2009 or a whole separate episode where we talk about self-care. He just, he gets it. He gets what it means to be alive and to want to feel better 
and to be hurt at the same time. Like he just understands so specifically what it means to be a human being, which is, it sounds simple because like we're all human beings, but it's, it's so hard to like be so self-aware, to be so reflective and then to do all of that personal work and then to be so gracious as to give that personal work to other people in the form of phenomenal, phenomenal songs. So Swimming also spent a lot of time being my favorite Mac Miller album. Um, it's in my top three. I listen to it every single day. Um, man, I'm just smiling. It's just such a special record. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, I'm getting a little emotional. It's just, yeah, same it's here. hard to, to know that he didn't get to tour that one. It's hard to know that he didn't get to stand on a stage night after night and see what that record meant means to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like the way the book ends, you know, like he knew he was loved and that's so important. It really is. Yeah. And for me, you know, I, I literally had tickets to see him in December, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the, I guess the tour that would have been performing this album and just to receive that news, it was just like a gut punch, you know, like not even a, it was worse than a punch. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like, it was like brutal. It was like Halloween kills. Um, it, it, was, it was literally a stab to the heart, you know, just not only just for me personally, but just for him you know just how far and like swimming how great it was and i felt and a lot of people will say oh it was only great because of what happened so i'm absolutely not the way that the way that swimming hit and the way that he was going he was only going to get bigger mm-hmm. i mean he was going to and he was already so big but swimming for me the reason why you know losing him so so early in his career and the timing of it was because the release of swimming I think it comes mm-hmm. down to that. And it's because I, I really personally feel like that album was going to send him in a whole nother direction and was going to send him. I mean, if he wasn't already at the top, straight to the top, that tour for that, for that album was just going to set him apart. And then, you know, we obviously got circles, which I'm not really big on releases after death. So I really, I wasn't able to, to, re- to listen to, to that album as way as I, I probably would, if he was still alive, I'm just, I'm not good with, um, I think they're called posthumous releases. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not good with those. Um, so I guess for me, swimming was an absolute masterpiece. And that's, I mean, I guess that's where, you know, the way you, and I love the, I did love the way you end the book, you know, it, it ended on a happy note and that's the way, you know, I kind of want to recap this as well as someone that, you know, well, unfortunately we did lose very, too, I mean, way too early in his career and life, but he was loved by so many throughout not only his music, but personal life as well. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it perfectly, you know, it's like he was beloved, he was adored and he was, he was a radiant person, mm-hmm. radiant musician and such a giver as an artist. So, you know, sorry, it's just hard. Um, it's it just incredible. It really is. It's incredible that, uh, you know, I spent all this time talking to all these people and everyone almost exactly said the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, everyone 
felt the exact same way about him in that way. It was with uh, just overwhelming love. Absolutely. Yes. And you did such a good job with this book. Now, one thing I did want to mention too, that I really want. So I'm basically saying this to wake someone up, whoever the powers may be somehow, some way, get us a way to watch Mac Miller and the most dope family. Somebody, if somebody is listening right now, please bring that show back. We need it ASAP. And that's, that's pretty much my pitch. I mean, that would, that's all, that's what we need right now. Right, Donna? I agree. That is a, it was a classic moment in his entire life. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would tried to love find to a way to go back and on. watch it. There's no way to watch it. There's like yeah. some clips on YouTube and that's about it. Yeah. I would love to just binge that, but <laughs> over and over again, like for the rest of my life. Absolutely. So whoever the powers may be, make it happen. But the book of Mac, remembering Mac Miller, Donna Claire Chessman, absolutely fantastic book. Before I let you go, definitely want you to one more time. I mean, tell everyone about this book. Tell them why they need to grab it and where they can grab it. Yeah. So this is a book cataloging every release, major release from Kids to Circles by Mac Miller. 30 plus people interviewed hours and hours of heartfelt, funny, emotional conversations all put together into this one neat package uh, if you love Mac Miller, read this book. If you're curious about Mac Miller, read this book. If you don't like Mac Miller, read this book. Maybe you'll like him after that. And you can get this book everywhere books are sold. Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Call your local bookstore and tell them to stock it. And I'm happy. I'm happy to have been here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Donna. Definitely. Stay in touch. I definitely want more people to purchase this book. If you're listening right now, scroll down in the description. I got a link for you to click. Make sure to get your book right now. What a fantastic book and what a great chat. I could talk about Mac Miller forever, Donna. And I, I'm this could be part one of like part 30 of a chat about Mac Miller. But I do really appreciate your work in this book and your time joining me today on the podcast. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks. Take care, Donna. Take care, my friend. Time Travel with DC Hendricks on the Music Vibes Podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.